0: Chapter 4 of the Posthumous Essays of John Churton Collins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Posthumous Essays of John Churton Collins. Chapter 4. Samuel Johnson. Part 2. The great characteristic of Johnson is that he was the most English of Englishmen a purely native and indigenous product illustrating in their most emphatic we may almost say exaggerated expression the virtues as well as the defects of the english genius temper and character and that it is which has always made him so great a favourite with his countrymen and so little appreciated and relished by foreigners truthfulness and honesty abomination of cant and pretense, and what the Germans so happily call Bermessenbeet, a man's measurement of himself, moral and physical courage, manliness, and contempt, unutterable for the meanness and paltriness of life, and yet all this tempered, not with a generous allowance for human frailty, but with the good nature that has its origin in a large, tender heart my dear sir he once said to boswell clear your mind of cant you may talk as other people do you may say to a man sir i am your most humble servant you are not his most humble servant you may say these are bad times it's a melancholy thing to be reserved to such times you don't mind the times you tell a man i am sorry you had such bad weather the last day of your journey and were so much wet you don't care sixpence whether he is wet or dry you may talk in this manner it is a mode of talking in society but don't think foolishly footnote boswell's life of johnson so the abrupt way in which he declined to be praised for a virtue to which he didn't think he was entitled he had been relating something he had done. That, sir, said Boswell, was great fortitude of mind. No, sir, said Johnson, stark insensibility. So a lady, thinking that of course he had some ingenious explanation to give, said to him, Dr. Johnson, what makes you in your dictionary define the pastern of a horse as the knee? pure ignorance madame pure ignorance was the unexpected reply when some of the pious friends of dr dodd were trying to console the unhappy man just before his execution by saying that he was going to leave a wretched world johnson praised him for having honesty enough not to join in the cant saying no no it has been a very agreeable world to me on the same account he distrusted what we may call emotional virtues that mere ascetic sensibility which too often effervesces into nothing i told him says boswell when they had been listening to a song let ambition fire thy mind that it affected me to such a degree as often to agitate my nerves painfully producing in my mind alternate sensations of pathetic dejection so that i was ready to shed tears And of daring resolution so that i was inclined to rush into the thickest part of the battle sir said johnson i should never hear it if it made me such a fool in a remark which he made on another occasion we have an admirable commentary on this unconscious form of insincerity do not sir accustom yourself to trust in impressions there is a middle state of mind between conviction and hypocrisy of which many are conscious by trusting to impressions a man may gradually come to yield to them and at length be subject to them so as not to be a free agent or what is the same thing in effect to suppose that he is not a free agent a man who is in that state should not be suffered to live if he declares he cannot help acting in a particular way and is irresistibly impelled there can be no confidence in him no more than in a tiger footnote boswell's life of johnson for both quotes and footnote how profoundly true what type of character is so absolutely hopeless as the purely emotional or ascetic but if he was English in these respects, he was English in his limitations, in his strong prejudices and political bigotry. And yet I think we may say at bottom he was far more tolerant and liberal than is commonly supposed. What could be broader or more liberal than this with respect to religion? For my part, sir, I think all Christians, whether papists or protestants, agree in the essential articles and that their differences are trivial and rather political than religious. Footnote. Boswell's Life of Johnson. End footnote. And again. Let us not be found, when our master calls us, ripping the lace off our waistcoats, but the spirit of contention from our souls and tongues. Alas, sir, a man who cannot get to heaven in a green coat will not find his way thither sooner in a grey one footnote piazzi's antidotes of johnson how admirable too is his remark about a man choosing a party in politics i can see that a man may do right to stick to a party that is to say he is a whig or he is a tory and he thinks that one of those parties upon the whole the best and that to make it prevail it must be generally supported though in particulars it may be wrong he takes its faggot of principles in which there are fewer rotten sticks than in the other though some rotten sticks to be sure and they cannot be separated but to bind oneself to one man or to one set of them who may be right to-day and wrong to-morrow without any general preference of system I must disapprove footnote tour of the hebrides End footnote. but it must be admitted that it was only in his higher moods that he talked like this his general tone was quite otherwise quote, a whig dog End quote. Quote, a whig blockhead End quote. Quote, a whig scoundrel End quote. were expressions only too frequently on his lips mrs knowles not hearing him distinctly once asked him if he had called some one a prig johnson worse madame a whig but he is both it was not often that johnson met his match but he did once to dr crow at oxford he once asked who was the first whig don't know i see sir that you are ignorant of the head of your own party but i tell you sir the devil was the first whig he wanted to set up a reform, even in heaven. Dr. Crow. I am much obliged to you for your information. I certainly did not think that you would go so far back for your information. Yet I rather fear that your argument makes against yourself. For if the devil was a Whig, you have admitted that while he was a Whig, he was in heaven. But you have forgotten that the moment he got into the other place, he set up for a Tory. Footnote: I have been unable to trace the source of this story. End footnote. Dr. Johnson was silent for the rest of the evening. But of all his unreasonable prejudices, that against the Scotch was strongest. One night at some party a Mr. Ogilvy was dilating on the glories of Scotland. He had been rather roughly treated by Goldsmith when he got on the richness of its land, so he shifted his ground and took his stance, on what he called its many noble wild prospects. The company observed unmistakable ominous symptoms in Johnson, whose head was shaking, body moving to and fro, hands vigorously rubbing his knees, while various sounds, sometimes as the clucking of a hen and sometimes as of a half-whistle, were proceeding from his mouth. At last he broke out. I believe, sir, you have a great many noble wild prospects, norway too has noble wild prospects and lapland is remarkable for prodigious noble wild prospects but sir let me tell you the noblest prospect which a scotchman ever sees is the high road that leads him to england footnote boswell's life of johnson End footnote. weaknesses of course they were but the dear old doctor's very foibles endear him to us sound, masculine, common sense, shrewd and penetrating, moving within a somewhat limited sphere, it is true. But within that sphere, irresistible because of the trenchant, inclusive inclusiveness with which it was expressed, is perhaps the most striking of his intellectual attributes. How often he pierces into the very core of a thing, thus when boswell pointed to a splendid and sumptuous country-house observed how happy the proprietor must be nay sir said johnson all this excludes but one evil poverty again speaking of the importance of trifles pound st paul's church into atoms and consider any single atom it is to be sure good for nothing but put all the atoms together and you have st paul's church So it is with human felicity, which is made up of many ingredients, each of which may be shown to be very insignificant. Boswell's Life of Johnson Take again this about suicide. Suppose, sir, said Boswell, that a man is absolutely sure that if he lives a few days longer, he will be detected in fraud. The consequence of which will be utter disgrace and expulsion from society. Then, sir," replied the sage, "let him go abroad to a distant country; let him go to some place where he is not known. Don't let him go to the devil, where he is known." Footnote: Boswell's Tour of the Hebrides, and footnote: so in his remark about gambling or gaming. Gaming is a mode of transferring property without producing any intermediate good. Footnote. Boswell's Life of Johnson. End footnote. Take again his shrewd common sense. I talked of the mode adopted by some to rise in the world by courting great men, and asked him whether he had ever submitted to it. Why, sir, I never was near enough to great men to court them. You may be prudently attached to great men and yet independent. You are not to do what you think wrong, and you are to calculate and not pay too dear for what you get. You must not give a shilling's worth of court for sixpence worth of good. But if you can get a shilling's worth of good for sixpence worth of court, you are a fool if you do not pay court. How well he knew human nature! take his instantaneous solution of goldsmith's popularity in society after he had observed that it was amazing how little goldsmith knew and that he seldom went where he was not more ignorant than any one else in the company yet said sir joshua reynolds there is no man whose company is more liked to be sure was the reply When people find a man of the most distinguished abilities as a writer their inferior while he is with them, it must be highly gratifying to them. Again, a man should be careful never to tell tales of himself to his own disadvantage. People may be amused, laugh at the time, but they will be remembered and brought up against him upon some subsequent occasion. On another occasion, Boswell, to start a question, asked whether when a man knows that some of his intimate friends are invited to the house of another friend, with whom they are all equally intimate, he may join them without an invitation. No, sir, he is not to go when he is not invited. They may be invited on purpose to abuse him. Footnote. All quotes above. From Boswell's Life of Johnson. End footnote how excellent too is his remark upon the difference between a well-bred and ill-bred man one he said immediately attracts your liking the other your aversion you love the one till you find reason to hate him you hate the other till you find reason to love him we do not usually associate the idea of what we call good breeding with johnson and yet it is remarkable that he exemplified it to the point of refined subtlety when johnson was asked whether he made any reply to a very high compliment which the king paid him he replied no sir when the king has said it it was to be so it was not for me to bandy civilities with my sovereign both quotes above from boswell's life of johnson another point which characterized johnson was his extraordinary readiness in repartee sir joshua reynolds remarked that there was no flourishing with his sword that he was through with you in a moment oh surely sir said boswell of mrs montague's work on shakespeare it is a work which does her honour yes sir it does her honour but it would do nobody else honour dr johnson you advise me to marry," said a young man who appears to have been worrying him with what he detested. Direct question, sir," replied the sage. "I advise no man to marry who is not likely to propagate understanding." Footnote: Piozzi's Anecdotes of Johnson. End footnote. When the last instalment of the dictionary was over, he got this letter from Andrew Miller, the publisher. Andrew Miller sends his compliments to Mr. Samuel Johnson with the money for the last sheet of the dictionary, and thanks God he has done with him. The reply he got by return was, Samuel Johnson returns his compliments to Mr. Andrew Miller, and is very glad to find, as he does by his note, that Andrew Miller has the grace to thank God for anything. Footnote Hawkins' Life of Johnson Boswell gives a different version of this story, the message being delivered by word of mouth. and footnote. Take the following lively passage. Johnson. To talk of respect for a player. Boswell. There, sir, you are always heretical. You will never allow merit to a player. Johnson. Merit, sir. What merit? do you respect a rope-dancer or a ballad-singer boswell no sir but we respect a great player as a man who can conceive lofty sentiments and can express them gracefully johnson what sir a fellow who claps a hump on his back and a lump on his leg and cries i am richard the third nay sir a ballad-singer is a higher man for he does two things He repeats and he sings. The player only recites. Boswell, my dear sir, you may turn anything into ridicule. A great player does what very few people are capable to do. His art is a very rare faculty. Who can repeat Hamlet's soliloquy as Garrick does it? Johnson, anybody may. Jemmy there, pointing to a boy about eight years old who was in the room will do it as well in a week. Boswell, no, no, sir, and as a proof of the merit of great acting and of the value which mankind sets upon it, Garrick has got one hundred thousand pounds. Johnson, is getting one hundred thousand pounds a proof of excellence? That has been done by a scoundrel commissary. Footnote, Boswell's Life of Johnson. End footnote. Well might poor Boswell say, this was most fallacious reasoning. I have found you in argument, sir, he once said to a man who was still taking exception. I am not obliged to find you in understanding. Nothing irritated him more than people attempting to defend what was vicious and mischievous. Thus a gentleman was once defending drinking, adding to his other arguments this, you know sir drinking drives away care and makes us forget whatever is disagreeable would not you allow a man to drink for that reason yes sir was the reply if he sat next to you he had an inimitable knack of insinuating sarcasm where it was not directly expressed as where he said of the irish the irish are a fair people they never speak well of one another. So, too, in his remark to Boswell, who had made, as was too common with that gentleman, one of his indiscreet confidences. One day I owned to him that I was occasionally troubled with a fit of narrowness. Why, sir, said he, so am I, but I do not tell it. Footnote. Boswell's Life of Johnson. A gentleman had once quitted a party where Johnson was, and the company were speculating as to who he was and what was his profession. The doctor observed that he did not care to speak ill of any man behind his back, but he believed the gentleman was an attorney. So, too, on a certain occasion, a gentleman introduced his brother to the doctor, this said brother being presumably a rather dull-looking man when we have sat together some time dr johnson you'll find my brother grow very entertaining sir said johnson i can wait how witty too his illustrations sometimes are as when he said on being told of some women preaching sir a woman's preaching is like a dog's walking on his hind legs it is not done well but you are surprised to find it done at all footnote boswell's life of johnson end footnote again on hearing of a gentleman who had been very unhappy in marriage marrying immediately after his wife died johnson observed that it was the triumph of hope over experience a very conceited empty-headed fellow once met johnson and lamented that he had lost all his greek i believe it happened at the same time sir said johnson that i lost all my large estate in yorkshire footnote Piozzi's anecdotes of johnson it has been sometimes said that johnson is now forgotten as a writer and lives only in the pages of boswell as a conversationalist if this be so it is our misfortune and not his perhaps he is more attractive as a talker than as a writer because the stateliness not to say pomposity of his style is not to the taste of these days and is it must be admitted somewhat wearisome but his works form a most important and precious contribution to english literature his papers in the rambler the idler and the adventurer are full of good things great moral truths penetrating remarks on life and men and books his prefaces to his dictionary and his shakespeare are as compositions noble pieces his Rasselas does not present a very cheerful view of life it must be admitted we should remember the circumstances under which it was written but it is one of the weightiest and wisest of moral tales of the lives of the poets it would be no exaggeration to say that with all its defects some of them very serious, it holds one of the very first places in English critical literature. As a poet, Johnson has produced two masterpieces, London and The Vanity of Human Wishes, the latter perhaps the noblest moral poem of our literature, and indeed challenging the supremacy of the superb poem of Juvenal's on which it is modelled. Footnote. Tenth Satire End footnote. in conclusion few men who have ever lived are so well worth knowing intimately as Samuel Johnson as the Socrates of Fleet Street especially in these days it is our lot to be living in an age when many of us perhaps most of us don't well know where we are so busy everywhere is the spirit of transition so bewildering the revolution which seems to be changing the face of everything but here was a man who knew where he was and spoke with no uncertain voice as every age has its own needs moral and spiritual so every age creates its own teachers and johnson is very far indeed from being able to supply us with everything we require in the way of guidance and admonition but we can go to him for much which every age must require, and should be grateful for, a noble example of self-subjugation, of heroic endurance, of duties faithfully fulfilled, of honesty, sincerity, humanity. All that common sense and mother wit in unusual measure, immense information, ample experience of men and life, tempered with a reverent and pious spirit, can under their time limitation teach us shall we learn from him if mere amusement and recreation be our object what book in the world since plutarch's lives can match with the work in which boswell tells johnson's story that odyssey as it has been called of the eighteenth century no man in that or in any other age of our literature has such a charm such a singular attraction to us in intellectual power in grasp fertility and eloquence burke was undoubtedly his superior in mere learning he was no match for gibbon in charm of style no match for goldsmith but they have not got hold of us as he has done they have not his commanding personality they have not his character and the last few years have shown that his fame, so far from decreasing, is growing still, have shown that Mr. Austin Dobson's words do not express what all of us who love and admire the dear old doctor will echo lustily back. You may talk of your Burks and your Gibbons so clever, but I hark back to him with a Johnson for ever and I feel as I muse on this ponderous figure, though he's great in this age, in the next he'll grow bigger. Footnote. A postscript to retaliation. End End of chapter 4. Samuel Johnson. Part 2.